I replied after a brief prelude of hesitation. Relief softened his features. We knew we could count on you. We, I thought. He continued. I have in mind two things. First, I'd like you to make small conversation, offer companionship and other social pleasantries with someone whose family shipping operations could greatly enhance our position. Make him comfortable and learn what you can for me, especially if he's disposed to work together or if he's making arrangements with others instead. His name is Delacqua. His name? It would be most irregular to suggest I entertain a man. I couldn't imagine his suggesting this to Clementine, nor her approval on my behalf, frankly. In good and plenteous company, Edward said. He's Maltese. I see, and I did. Normally, my mongrel heritage, as Edward usually referred to it, was an impediment. But now it was to be used to show Mr. Delacqua how open-minded and affable we were, and in the process, learn his secrets and take his money. It's his first visit to England. I sighed. A young lad, then. That explained all. It couldn't prove too difficult a task. I, of course, would be present for only a few weeks. But if I could smooth the path for Edward during that time, it seemed little enough to request. You have more in common with him than Malta, he continued absent-mindedly. I waited for him to explain, but he did not. If the arrangements prove profitable enough, I may be able to save Highcliffe. My heart leapt. There, perhaps, was motivation enough for me. And the second way I might assist the family? Excuse me, sir. Watts, the butler, stepped into the room. All the cases are on board, and the footman is ready to assist the ladies into the carriage. Annabel, after you. Edward held his arm out so that I might pass by, and Clementine and Maud stood nearby. It hadn't escaped me that Edward had neatly circumvented several questions. The carriage was heavily loaded, and we creaked our way down the long drive, toward the train station in nearby Brockenhurst. The lawn to either side was overgrown, but still sharply green, dotted with white clover, over which hovered the fat honeybees our property was once known for. My mother would have inherited Highcliffe had her unwise choices not intervened. It tethered me to her. It was the only place we'd lived together. When it was gone, I should be adrift. I'd been encouraged to forget all about my mother, to not think of her or speak her name, for fear of reminding others of her condition and setting them wondering if madness was to be my legacy. But still, I remembered her. Being at Highcliffe once again, after so many years away, provoked those happy memories even more strongly. A young girl, no more than twelve, ran in the field, 
a shepherdess gathering her cloud-like sheep, their nubby little tails flapping up and down, before night fell. What would come of her upon the house's sail? Would she, too, be adrift? Before we came to the end of the long entrance, which was rutted and muddy with neglect, the driver pulled over to let a cart pass. Who could be coming just when we were leaving? The cart held none but the driver and two heavy trunks. As it passed, I could clearly see that they were not just any trunks. Alarm flooded me, and I swiftly turned back to Edward sitting beside me. Those are my trunks, from the Rogers School. What is the meaning of this? I shall need my things when I return to teach two weeks hence. Clementine looked out the window. Maud peered at her stained gloves. Edward met my eyes straight on, smiling a frozen little smile.